This morning we are uh, continuing our sprint through 1 John. Um, if it's felt a little fast, it's because it is a little fast. <laughs> We've said we're going to take one chapter a week and just do it this month, and it has felt uh, a little quick, like we've missed some things, and that's okay, because we never said that we were going to get them all, um, and actually we won't ever get them all. We're going to have all of eternity, if we are in Christ, to plumb the depths of who he is and what he's told us, and, and actually get to see him face to face. And so this morning we're in First John chapter 4, and I actually went ahead and in, even instead of reading the whole thing, just narrowed in, and I said, hey, it's okay, we're just going to preach verses 7 through 12. Um, you do need to know in context that, remember that this, this letter John is writing to the church. This is John the Apostle, John that has seen Jesus, like lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, seen Jesus cry, seen him weep, seen him crucified, seen him rose again. Like, like this is the John that's writing this letter, and he's writing it to the church that he loves. And he, we know that because he's been using language that is loving language. And we see it again today. He begins this section as beloved, right? Speaking to the church. How does he get that love for this people? How is it being expressed like last week when he said, hey, if you have the love of God, you have to practice the love of God by loving your neighbor. And he puts a lot of emphasis on, on that. And then today we actually see that this identity piece, who is God? What has he done? And then what do we do out of that? Because what God has done is he's given us a new identity. He's given us the the identity of the beloved. But even in that identity, now we're called to action. The, The problem is we always want to skip the identity piece and just say, hey, God, what do I need to do today? Like, what's going to make you happy? What's going to satisfy you, so then maybe I can get to do what I want to do after that. Like, that's, that's some of my thinking sometimes, and I know that with my children, it, it can be that way. Like, Dad, I'll do what you, need to, what you want me to do so that I can get to what I want to do. But what we are beginning to find as the people of God, that what God wants us to do is actually the thing that I most want to do, the thing that gives me the most satisfaction, that gives me the most sense of being what we see in, in this passage is that it actually gives us a completeness. It gives us a perfection. It's the finishing of this thing in us that we long for, this identity piece. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but you need to know, just because we're, we're walking through all of 1 John, that in the beginning of 1 John 4, he talks about testing spirits. And now, he's, he's challenging some of the false teachers of the day, and he's pointing them to what is truth. The truth is that Jesus is the Son of God, and he actually came as a man, and he walked as a man, and he lived as a man, but he was fully God and fully man. And he's stressing that, and he's saying that the Spirit testifies to that. So next week, get ready and pray for me, because we're going to talk about what is the role of the Holy Spirit in this. We've spent a lot of time, and we're going to spend a lot of time today looking at the Father who sends the Son, and that 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 is the way that He has loved us, by sending His one and only Son as the sacrifice that you and I need, and then He calls us to walk out of that, but He doesn't, we don't do that alone. He's filled us with His Spirit, and we get to walk according to that Spirit, that Spirit that would continue to testify that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Jesus is the gospel truth that you and I need. He's the one who has done all the work so that you and I can live in righteousness, so that we can live in a fullness of life. And so John points to that at the beginning of chapter 4. Again, this was just a letter. We've divided it into chapters. Okay, it's helpful so that we can navigate it, but the reality is that he's given this one long letter to the church. But John's kind of, he gets a little cyclical. Like there's times where he just kind of interjects things, and one of the things that he interjects is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, like testing the spirits. You need to know what is the spirit of God, because that spirit of God will always point to the truth of who Jesus is. And so next week we'll dive into that a little bit more in chapter 5. At the end of this chapter, it's just expounding more and more on this central theme that we find. Who is God? How has he loved us? And then how do we respond to that? So let's pray and ask God because we can read the words, we can hear the words, we can have some good illustrations, we can be captivated and and we can be entertained for a little while, but that's not what we're here for. We're here so that God would speak to us, we would hear him, and we would be transformed and conformed to him. So the only way that happens is by his spirit. So let's ask his spirit to do that today. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We're thankful for John. God, that he, he shares his experience of Jesus with us through your word. God, that we don't have to go back and um, relive his experience because you are with us today. But so much of what he saw and felt in your person, he gives to us, Lord, so that we can now test what is true, what is good, by your spirit, which points to the reality of Jesus. And so, God, we would ask that today you would prick our hearts, that our hearts of stone would be turned into hearts of flesh by the regeneration of your spirit. Lord, there's some today that, that wouldn't confess you, Lord, and I pray that you would do the miracle of salvation, the miracle of conversion. Lord, and there's many here today uh, that, that we've confessed you, but we've also forgotten so much. We've forgotten the reality of who you are. Maybe we're, we're just starting to see it. God, would you stir in our hearts again a vision of you, a vision of your beauty, a vision of your selfless love that you would give your one and only son to die on the cross for us. God, and then may we be transformed and conformed. May we be actually made to look like you, to live like you, to love like you for your glory and our good. We would ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, verse 7, Paul, or John begins, uh, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So he says it twice right there. He, he says that God is love. He says that love is from God. In our culture today, we have, a, we have a hard time with that because we take the God who we have not seen and we take our experience of love, which we've felt and which we've experienced, and we apply that to God because this says that God is love. But we're getting them backwards. We're putting the cart before the horse there, right? We can't, 
use a definition, our definition, and put it on God. God's the creator, we're the created. We, we always come with that identity piece. And it's, it's a really good identity piece, even as it chafes against like our want for control and our want for comfort and our want for all of these other things, our want for power. But this identity piece of being the created is really, really sweet as we begin to understand all that that means, that we have an inheritance as the created, that we have an inheritance and, and we're heirs that are adopted and, and grafted into this family. And so this piece is beautiful, but what we tend to do is we tend to take what we know and transcribe it to God rather than allowing him to speak and say what's true and then us to, to believe it. So this morning, I want us to ask the question, God is love or love is God? Right? That's, that's a question that we have. Because in our culture, love is always valued. Love is always esteemed. It's always raised up. It says, hey, all you need is love. Right? We just need to love each other. We need to accept each other. We need to do all of these things. Like we have our own definitions, our own cultural definitions of what love is. But this is not saying that God is what you think love is. This is saying that God is love. So we have two beautiful declarations just in this first two verses. Love is from God and God is love. Love is from God. Love is from God, so if any of us have it, we have it because God gave it to us. It's not something outside of God that we've gone and gotten and we've figured it out. No, God has given us love. So if you have love today, it's because God the Father, God the creator of the universe, has given it to us. This is one of the beautiful Identity pieces of who God is. When we ask the question, who is God? God is the good gift giver. Over and over and over, he has given his people gifts. And one of the gifts that he's given is love. He's given us his love. We usually uh, preach out of the ESV, and I read out of the ESV, but I also try to read some of the other translations. And one of the translations that I like for 1 John chapter 3, 1 is the NIV because it, it uses... Just beautiful language. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Right? Like, if we've received the gift of love, it's not a a small portion. It's a huge lavishing of his love. It's more than enough. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We talked about it some last week, but the beauty of that is that identity piece that we have as sons and daughters that have been given extravagant gifts, the extravagant gift of love. And as a gift, love is not earned, right? If you earn it, that's a transaction. If if you've been given it as a gift, you haven't earned it. And so we just need to continue to remember this because we're going to find ourselves caught in these cycles where we begin to think that, that somehow I've earned God's love. Somehow I'm doing well, and that's why he's pleased with me. But we all know that the reality is that while we're dead in our sin, God came for us, and he, he, we had done nothing except defied him and rebelled against him, and he came and he grabbed us and he said, you are mine and I am yours. That's what love is. We have not earned this gift. 
It's not wages, right? Wages are what you earn. What are our wages? Paul's pretty clear. (laughs) For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're, we're here and we're seeing the good gifts of God in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Not only do we have love, but we have God. We get to know him. We are born of him. This is the true gift of this good gift giver. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So two definitions. God gives love and God is love. Love is not God because love was given to us. It's an aspect of God's character. Now, the, the, the other tendency that we have is we begin to think that, oh, well, God is just love. But God has revealed so many attributes of his character and his beauty to us, and one of them is love. Now, it's, it's, it's powerful. What, you would begin, what we begin to see is that all these characteristics and all these attributes of God are intertwining, and they're all mixed together, and it's, like, it's hard to separate them sometimes. But love is, is an attribute of God. It's a characteristic of God. But it's not all that he is. He's also holy and just and righteous and merciful and vengeful and patient and kind and long-suffering and omnipresent and omniscient, right? He knows all things. He's there all the time. Like, and that's just some. I think we're going to spend, like we talked about, all of eternity plumbing the depths of who God is, seeing all these attributes, all the characteristics of who God is. But one of the things he is, is he is love. If you want to know what love is, where would you look? I think it's a great question to ask people. I think it's a great starter question to, to begin to, to invest in people's lives. And, and you're not asking the question to get to the point where you get to tell them what's true. You, we ask the question and we actually listen and we're curious. We take on a posture of humility in all relationships. But one of the places where that could be really helpful is that, hey, as we're sharing life with somebody we could ask them the question, well, what is the definition of love? What is love? And then we can, we can begin that conversation. And one of the things that we get to say is, I believe God is love. Right? His word tells me that that's true, that God is love. Love actually emanates from God. It's a characteristic of God. John Piper says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light. The fire gives heat because it is heat. God gives love because he is love. You've most likely heard the the term, it is what it is, which... I still don't understand what that means. I would put forth a truer statement today that can be said about God and love. It is who he is. Like, that's what love is. Love is who God is. Okay? If those two things are what John is is clarifying in verses 7 and 8, like, we need to know, that's great. Now I know God is love, but how? What has he done? 
And John doesn't leave us hanging. He jumps right into it in verses 9 and 10. Read those with me. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love it when you get a softball in Scripture. Like, it's just teed up, and you get to knock it out of the park. You get to see it right there. We talk about, listen, there's passages in Scripture that we need to take, and we need to memorize, and we need to have them deep in our hearts. This is one. Memorize 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. Like, this understanding of who God is and what he has done and what he has called us to because he's told us that he is love. And then John says, and this is how we know. This is what love is. Verse 10, those first four words, in this is love. Okay? We're seeing who God is. We've been told that he's love and now we get to see John and his definition for us of what that love is. How do we know what the love of God looks like? God has given us Jesus. In Jesus, we get to see what true love looks like. Jesus is not just a person. He's not just some guy, because we've gotten all kinds of gifts from God. Some of us have friends, and Jesus is more than a friend. Some of us have great family members, great fathers, great mothers, but Jesus is more than a family member. Jesus is the Son of God, And so when God gives Jesus, he's actually giving us himself. He's giving us everything that we need in Jesus. God who is loved sent his only begotten, his one and only son. The language that John is using in this letter is the same language that he uses in his gospel. Right? Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. His only son. John three sixteen through 18, most of us know it. Most of us could quote it. But the reality is that a lot of us don't operate in it. We don't believe it. We don't function day to day as if it was true. And so we just need to hear it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John in his, in his gospel is saying, listen, it's not just that God is love, but that God has sent his Son Jesus. And you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believe on the name of Jesus that you would be saved. There's no other way. It's not like we just need to love more. No, God has shown us what love is. He's given His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does this look like? That God would give Himself. Jesus left heaven, humbled Himself. And became a man. And he didn't become like the best man, like the top man that really didn't experience a lot of the yuck of humanity. No, he became fully man and lived a a life fully human, suffering the way that you and I suffer. 
dying for us. He did not live the best of, of earth. He lived all of earth. He was made manifest, is what John says in verse 9. Fully indwelling in our humanity, in our brokenness. And what he does is he actually goes all the way to being separated from the Father because of the sin of humanity. Like that's the manifest that we're talking about. That's the real taking on humanity that Jesus has done for you and for me. That he would leave heaven, that he would suffer in his body, that he would take on the sin of the world, and then that he would be separated from the Father on the cross as he bears our sin. I don't think we understand how offensive our sin is to God. The Bible gives us real good words for it, strong words about God's holiness and about our sinfulness and how offensive that is to God. But we don't understand it. And so we don't understand, because we don't understand that, we also don't understand the love of God that he would give himself to suffer the punishment that you and I deserve. That on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by his Father. God could not look on him as he, as he was bearing our sin. That's a big deal. But because he has done that, now he can look on you and on me and look at us and see our sin, but it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice. That's what propitiation means, the atoning sacrifice of his son on our behalf. That's, John's holding this out and he's saying, listen, do you want to know what love is? That's what love is. That's what the Father has done for you and for me. He's given of himself Everything that you and I need, he has given us in Jesus. And then he says, because of that, how should we live? This atonement of Christ on behalf of his people is the greatest display of God's great love for us. There's plenty of other smaller Gifts that he's given us, but the greatest gift that he's given us, the only one that that changes everything is his son, Jesus, that he gave as the atoning sacrifice for his people. Romans 5.8, another one, hey, we're going to dive into Romans in two weeks. And I don't know if you've gotten excited about it, but I'm I'm starting to get really excited about it. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Someone says, I love you. Think about that. When you tell your wife, I love you, think about what that means. When you tell your family, your kids, I love you, right? When you experience love in a relationship, what you're saying is that it's that. That's what love is. That's the definition of love. If God is love, and he's shown us what love is, he's given us son to die for us while we were still sinners. How does that, how does that play in interpersonal relationships now? Like, like, what does that mean for, because it doesn't just have effect between us and God. It has effects in our relationships. 
Now we too get to, are called to love in that same manner, in that same way. So how do we do this? But I love it because you read it in verses 11 through 12. Beloved. Again, anytime he says beloved, he's, he's speaking to people that he cares for, and he uses that term, and, and there's, an, there's an identity that's associated with it. So even as he's calling them to do something, he's reminding them of their identity first and foremost. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We can't move to the action outside of our identity in Christ. We can't love outside of Christ. But because you and I are in Christ today, John, just like Jesus, just like the other apostles, calls us to live like it. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I think of the love of God as this exponential compounding thing. Um, And if you know anything about finances, maybe you know about exponential compounding. So this is a formula for an exponential compounding equation, okay? So some of you are really going to nerd out on this and you're going to love it. Some of you are going to say, what in the world? Why are we doing this? Okay. Look, we actually we were talking about it this morning before we even started. This idea that uh, uh, compounding interest is really great if you're on the good side of it. You want it. Like this compounding thing, like the love of Christ that's in you and I is actually this compounding thing. The more we operate in it, the more we experience it, the more we share it, the greater excitement we have. Now, this is for if you wanted to invest some money. Okay, so if you were to invest $700 here and you had, um, sorry, if you wanted to invest $700 here as your principal, you want to find out how much you're going to make, you've got to have this equation where the rate is whatever your percentage is. So let's say you got 0.7 or, anyways, Listen, I put it in the notes, and if you want to figure out some stuff, you can, all right? But if you had $700 and you had an annual interest rate of uh, 7.5% that compounded every year, and you put it in there for 10 years, you'd be up to $1,400 pretty quick, okay? That's doubling your money, all right? You're going to have to trust me, but I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it says it's good, okay? You want to figure out how to invest some money. Chris was talking about it earlier, all right? For some of you, maybe that's not your cup of tea. Maybe you're not getting really geeked out about the exponential compounding love of Christ with that one. But let's go here, all right? This is not an A like over there. This is a mountain, okay? But what you have here is you have a snowball, okay? And it's coming down this mountain, and at every place it's getting bigger. It's like an avalanche, okay? That's what the love of God is like. It's this compounding, exponential thing that the more you experience of it, the more you enjoy it, the more you want to give it away, and it becomes this thing that takes over your whole life. And that's what John is telling the church. He's telling, listen, if that's how God has shown His love for us, then we get to be that people. We get to embody that. It gets to be perfected and completed in you and I. 
Verse 11. Beloved, if God's the love, we ought to love one another. If you're like me and you, you hear should, ought, better, you automatically take it as, oh, I have to do that. No, he is saying that. He's saying that you, you're going to do it. But the only way that you're going to do it is out of that identity of the beloved. We can't jump to this thing that we have to say, oh, now I have to do this. No, God is inviting us into this and he's doing it all by the work of his spirit through the finished work of Christ being applied to the lives of the believers. So we, we want to desire that, but we can't produce it. So we wait upon the Lord and we say, God, I pray that you would do this in me and I look for opportunities to walk in. If we experience the fullness of the love of God in Christ, we reflect it. Like that, that's how it happens. As God does this work in you, as he showers you with his love, as he builds on the depth of your understanding of the love of Christ, you begin to reflect that love in every relationship. You begin to be the, the image bearer of Christ that he's called you to be. Not because you're trying, but because he's working that out in you. Now, can we reject that? Can we push it away? To a degree, yeah. We can, we can choose not to participate in what God's doing. And yet, the greatest invitation that you have today is to participate in the love of Christ. Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians. Man, it's like one of the things that really gets me excited. That Paul would pray this for the church um, and I feel like he's praying this for me as I read it. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, which we've already said is God, God is love, as we are being rooted and grounded in God, in love, that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think that that, is what John is saying at the same time. Verse 12, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The fullness of God shows up in his people as Jesus and his love is manifested in our lives. And that's what we're being called to today. John Stott says the unseen God who was once revealed in his son, is now revealed in his people when they love one another. That's powerful. Like when we actually walk and live sacrificially towards those around us, when we give up what we want and lay those things down, we are reflecting God just as Jesus reflected the Father. Colossians says that in the fullness, like that the, in, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And now today, you and I get to, to, ex, to reflect the fullness of God to a dying world that needs to see it, to each other who need to see it. And so we get to walk in this today. I read the beginning of the quote from Piper, but I'll finish the quote from Piper. He says, the sun gives light because it is light. The fire gives heat because it is heat. So the Apostle John's point is that in <coughs> excuse me, the new birth... This aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who you are. The new birth is the imparting 
to you of divine life, and an indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love, and in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are. When you are born again, God himself is imparted to you. He dwells in you and sheds abroad in your heart his love. And his aim is that this love be perfected in you. Notice the phrase, his love, in verse 12. The love that you have as a born-again person is no mere imitation of the divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. The love that's inside of you and me today, if we're in Christ, is actually God's love. It's not a, it's, it, it's not a clone. It's not a copy. It is the love of God being expressed today. It comes with, like, some responsibility, comes with some weight, but man, it also comes with joy. Today, if, if I share love with Matt, he experiences the love of God, and if he shares it with me, I experience the love of God. That's powerful. We get to be ambassadors and partakers of that today. And so the call this morning is, is look for evidence in your life. Look for evidence of the love of God being poured out in you, to you, and through you. If this is true, then John's saying that that as image bearers, as the church, we are actually going to love our neighbor, love our brother, love even our enemies. And so we have some questions. Do we give up our lives with the purpose of making known the love of God to our brother? I think that's a It's a hard question. You see, God didn't just give himself up just to to be selfless. He gave himself up with a purpose. The purpose was to rescue and redeem and save. And then somehow today we're invited into that same thing, to, to be part of his rescue plan for his bride. To be part of the redemption that he's bringing, the restoration that he's bringing, the new creation that he has begun and will one day be perfected. So do we give up our lives with purpose? The purpose of making known the love of God to our brother. Do you live selflessly to the point where people notice? I think that's a great question. Like, do, do we live selflessly? Some of us live selflessly like I do, and you have to tell other people, by the way, I'm living selflessly for you today. So you're welcome. God says that you've received your reward in full there. Um, but, but are we doing that? Are we living in a, in a way that other people would see it and say, man, there's something about those people. They, they give things up. They, they love well. And if, if we are being noticed, do we then take that, that notice and point explicitly to what Christ has done? Because... To be honest, if someone sees Shane and says, man, that guy loves well, there's something about him that's different, and Shane doesn't explicitly point to Jesus, they're either going to say, man, I just got to follow and do, do the things that he's doing, right? And, and then they're led to believe that in and of himself, he's doing this. But the reality is that God has done this and changed him and is making himself. Listen, I've seen it, and it's beautiful, right? But that's, that's the work of Christ, not any, not any work of us that we would boast. And so we need a point to that because otherwise it's going to lead to a self-righteousness or a shame and neither one of those are what Christ has purchased for us. He has purchased his righteousness, his peace, his love to walk in. 
And so are we living in ways that people would notice? And then if they notice, are we pointing them to Jesus? And, and is this a character trait for you? If this is what we've said is a character trait and an attribute of God, is it a character trait and an attribute of us? Now, we can't produce it, but what we can do is, is rest in what God has done. Remember who he is and what he's called us to, that he has loved us selflessly and that he's called us now go and love the same way with my love, the love that I've put in you. Not a clone, not a copy, but the love of God being expressed in each one of us today. And so when we ask those questions, we can quickly find ways that we haven't done that. And so what we do is we repent of those things. But we don't, we don't take guilt and condemnation and shame. We just say, man, God, I, I want to be more like what you've called me to be. So I repent of trying to do it in and of my own strength. And I want to run with you. I want to rest in your arms. We talk about abiding in 1 John. That abiding, that place of being in Christ and then as we are in Christ, now we operate in love. So repent of being somewhere else. Run to Christ. And then believe that he's doing these things in, in, in us. And again, we need to encourage the ways that we see the love of Christ being displayed in each other. We need to say, man, I see that, and it is Jesus, and I'm so excited about what he's doing in you. And then we get to challenge, too, like, if all we ever do is challenge where we don't see the love of Christ and we see somebody else in their selfishness, we're gonna, it's going to be a hard day. But when we get to both challenge and say, and I've seen what God is doing in you. Because that's what it means to be the church together. And so let's do that. Let's, let's repent where we have not rested in Christ and believed in his love and shared his love with others. And then let's believe that that's true and that he's doing that work in us and walk in those things together today. Amen? God, we thank you. We thank you so much that you and your kindness have loved us well. Not just well, like well would be a good rendition, but you have loved us. That's how we know what love is. We thank you that you sent your son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice the payment that we needed for our sin. God, that you have given of yourself. We just thank you, God. We pray that you would do a work where we would remember that more often. Where in the morning we would get up and we would remember my life is not my own, it's been purchased by Jesus through his blood that he poured out. God, and that we would remember how you have loved us and that that would take effect in our lives and that the love that you've poured out upon us, we would share with others. We would embody the love of Christ. Lord, would you do this miracle in us today so that we would have joy But more than that, so that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you would be worshipped in the simple day-to-day -day bringing somebody a cup of coffee, that that would not just be a kind 
a kind gesture, but it would be the embodied love of God. Lord, would you teach us how to love? Would you work by your Spirit to make us, to transform us, to conform us into the image of Christ that we would love as he is loved? I thank you for the identity as beloved. God, may we abide there. May we rest there. May that be the place that we function out of, that if we would ever go and and try to do, that it would be because of who we are, who you've made us to be. Help us to get that in the right order. And then forgive us when we don't, God. Draw us back to you. Thank you for your spirit that's teaching us truth and pointing us to Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.